Let us pray. O oh Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight, O oh Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. When I was in law school back in the 1980s at Emory in Atlanta, I happened to land in the center of one of the great musical movements in the world of college music. It was the era of uh, great bands coming out of the Atlanta and Athens area, bands that had lots of songs that still get played, although they might have not had the deepest lyrics in the world. Most of you will know things like B-52's Rock Lobster or Love Shack, R.E.M.'s Driver 8 or uh, It's the End of the World as We Know It and I Feel Fine, all of these kinds of things. And the 80s were a period where that R.E.M. song, It's the End of the World as We Know It and I Feel Fine, was kind of the way people were thinking. It was, it was a hedonistic age. It was a time where there was a lot of partying and a lot of great... Uh, fun going around, and it was also the era of music celebrities in a new way, because in that era is when MTV, which seems old hat now, but back then it was the big thing, first created megastars on video for music. So all through that time, you're hearing these songs like, girls just want to have fun, it's the end of the world as we know it, and I feel fine, and right into the middle of that, there was this other group that was really popular in Atlanta and Athens that had the unlikely name of Guadalcanal Diary. And two of their greatest hits in the middle of Girls Just Want to Have Fun were Why Do the Heathen Rage and Sleepers Awake. And it was interesting because their songs, I don't know where they were coming from spiritually, but they used a lot of scripture in their songs. And they were like a voice in the wilderness of all of this party, 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 uh, this cry in the wilderness saying, wake up, uh, things might need to change in your life. And it is interesting because you can find that sentiment in various iconic things from the 80s. There's other great 80s movie Ferris Bueller's Day Off with the famous line, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you could miss it. And I wouldn't go so far as to say that's exactly the message of Advent, but it is closing in on some of the same thought. Part of the idea of Advent, which we have observed in the Christian family since the 300s, part of the idea of Advent is that we need a wake-up call that we are not always focused on the things that Christ calls us to be focused on. And so Advent calls us to look at two things in particular. It calls us to look with awe and wonder at the coming of Jesus Christ, the incarnation, God putting on flesh and entering the world he had made in order that he might love us and go to the cross to die for us, to reunite us to God to give us life in him that will never perish. But Advent also has that future look of looking toward the second coming, believing as we say in the creed and as Jeff preached on a couple of weeks ago, that Christ will return and that it is not a matter as the bumper sticker says, Jesus is coming back, look busy. That is not what it is about. It is all about what we see today in Paul's 
letter to the Romans. So I'd invite you to turn to that passage from Romans because that is what we're going to look at this morning. So first, a little context. Romans is that great book by Paul where he is laying out this beautifully reasoned argument about why God sent Jesus and why the plan of salvation is the way it is and how we become part of that and the amazing depth of God's love for us. And Paul has been explicating all of this and finally he has this doxology entering into the 12th chapter where he starts the 12th chapter saying, therefore I urge you by the mercies of God to present yourselves, your souls and bodies as a living sacrifice to God He goes on to say, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. And then he goes on to unpack that, and this chapter today is part of that unpacking. Uh, He ends chapter 12 with a verse that is so important for us to think about today. He says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And that is part of the message of Advent. And as Paul begins to unpack how we are to do this, he starts off by talking about in chapter 13, relationship with the government, that we should pay taxes to those to whom taxes are owed, give respect to those whom respect is owed, honor to those whom honor is owed. And this word owe is repeated over and over again And then it leads into the start of today's passage, owe no one anything but to love one another. And this is a central message of Advent, but it is one that is all too easy for us to forget. You see in this that Paul says something shocking. He says, love is the fulfillment of the law. And in case we missed it, he says it twice just in this short little passage that when we love in the way that God intended, we fulfill the law. And so this morning, I want us to look at four things that we can glean from this passage. First, the imperative to love. The second, the imperative to wake up. Third, the imperative to cast off. And fourth, the imperative to put on. So first, the imperative to love, and this whole idea that love is the fulfilling of the law. Paul tells us that the one who loves has fulfilled the law, and he cites part of the Ten Commandments as his proof for this, that those commandments are about how we love one another well. They are about ways of dealing with other people that are consistent with God's love for them and for us. But one of the interesting things that we know from Jesus' teaching is that when Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. In other words, everything depends on loving God in this way and loving your neighbor in this way. And we need constantly to be reminded of this because it is the framework of what it means to follow Jesus. It is no accident that in our liturgy that we use for communion, every time we celebrate the Eucharist, the very first words that are said after the opening prayer are, hear what our Lord Jesus Christ saith, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. 
It is no accident that on the wall to the left of the altar up there, those words are put right before us on the wall of the church building. But the problem for so many of us is that even though we know this intellectually, we get busy. We get hung up with other things in our lives and this imperative to love gets lost in the same way that things get lost when I'm looking for them in the refrigerator. They may be right in front of me, but I don't see them at all. We become overly familiar and we need to regain this imperative that Paul is talking about. And the interesting thing here is Paul is talking about the same things that we heard in the gospel lesson about Jesus's return. But Paul is telling us that our focus is not to be on trying to figure out what that date is, to be calculating and speculating and all of that, because Jesus himself said, if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would have stayed up. The point is we cannot know, but we can know what we should be doing in the meantime. And what Paul is telling us is that the night is far spent, that the day of our salvation is nearer than it ever has been before, and we need to refocus our lives around what it means to love Jesus and to love the people that are made in his image. Paul is telling us that this message of love is where we need to be focused. Could there be anything timelier for us and our culture today? We live in a world that is so deeply divided, and were Christians to radically practice love, to do what Jesus said, to love our enemies, to pray for those who persecute us, rather than demonizing them, we would be following the advice that Paul gives us here. It is a command from the Lord that we are to love. It is love as an imperative. Which brings us to the second thing, wake up. Wake up is a command that you see all through the lessons of Advent. You see it through the Advent hymns. Uh, I would commend to you the hymns of Advent that are conveniently right in the front of the hymnal uh, that we use, the 1940 hymnal, and look at the words because they are all about preparing your heart about waking up and refocusing on the kingdom of God. And the interesting thing here is Paul is telling us not to be oblivious and unaware, that we are to be alert, that we are to break the spell, the enchantment of worldliness that we are under. And the problem for so many of us is that our lives, our schedules, our computers, our phones take over, and we are so filled with the importance of the hustle and bustle. And what Paul is telling us is no, we need to wake up. It cannot be business as usual because Jesus has come and Jesus is coming and that changes everything. If you have ever tried to wake up someone who was deeply asleep, who was about to miss class or about to miss some other family obligation, you will know about what I mean about the level of obliviousness. When you try to wake up someone, they couldn't care less for the most part about what it is that they're supposed to be doing. They just wanna roll over and hit the snooze button. And unfortunately, that is all too often the way that we are in our spiritual lives. But the message of Advent is to wake up, to arise from our sleep, to do what that voice of the wilderness of that song is saying to, 
to let go of all the partying and all the stuff that's so much fun and think about what our lives and purpose might actually be in light of the gospel. So that brings us to the third thing, which is to cast off the works of darkness. And there's a great little message from the great preacher Charles Spurgeon about this. Spurgeon says this, when awake, what is the next duty? Is it not to cast off your night clothes? Our text says, let us therefore cast off the works of darkness. The man who has just awakened and finds that it is morning light must first of all put off the garments which covered him during the night. He quits his bed and in so doing shakes off his bedclothes and leaves them. Your friends do not come downstairs wrapped in the sheets which wrapped them up at night in bed. If they did, we should suppose they were seeking their graves. The coverlet of night is not to be our covering by day. There must be a putting off in the morning before there can be a measure of putting on. There must be a measure of undressing before we can commence to dress. And casting off the works of darkness does not just mean ignoring evil or merely turning away from it. It is a very proactive word. To cast away something means to take it, to seize it, and to throw it far away. It's not like putting it in a different drawer until you want to pull it out again. It's opening up the back door and kicking it as far away as it will go. And that is what we are told to do with the works of darkness. And one of the translations of what Paul says here is that it is high time to do this. Now, in my family growing up, I had a great aunt who was the matriarch of the family. And if Aunt Amy ever said it was high time that you did something, you knew you had better get moving right then or it was going to be ugly. So what Paul is telling us is that the hour of sleeping and resting and being oblivious is gone and that it is time for us to wake up. And look at what he says we are to do. We're not to just cast off some metaphorical works of darkness, but he gives us some very practical advice. He says, let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. If you are going to live and love and make love your priority, there's simply not time to be engaged in all of these things. One commentator puts it this way, Paul is telling us not to live for endless pleasure. Don't devote your life to endless good times, things that you plan over and over again for your own self-indulgence, an endless round of parties or plays or concerts or even binging on Netflix or sports. You can't love and do that. You are wasting your life. You've got only so many precious moments to show the mighty power of this love of Christ. And if you spend all your moments in endless self-indulgence, you will never truly be able to live in love. Ouch. What Paul is telling us here is that there's an urgency to love. When you look at the way that Jesus lived his life, his priority in every situation was to love well the person that God put in his path. And that should be our priority as well. The second thing that Paul tells us here is that we are to avoid dissension and strife. Now, in case you've been living under a rock for the past 10 years, 
Our culture is full of dissension and strife. And there is every opportunity to stir the pot when you want to. I'm sure no one had any pot stirring during family Thanksgiving dinner with lots of people home with different viewpoints. Certainly not. But the point of the matter is that we as Christians are called to follow Jesus' example of being peacemakers. We are to be those who are practicing radical love. And there's a good way to give a little test about how well you're doing on this. Think about when you go into a group of people, are that, is that group of people better when you leave for the fact that you were there? Are they closer to God? Are they experiencing more joy? Are they experiencing more love? Or are they stirred up and arguing with each other uh, and perhaps thinking you were amusing? The problem with so many of us is that we lose track of this priority of love as we go about the things of our daily lives. And that brings us to the fourth point, which is that if we are to cast away, we also are to put on something. We don't leave just a void, but we are to put on something. We are to put on the armor of light. And the reason for this is that when you are wearing armor, it means something. In case you haven't noticed, most people don't walk around the city of Charleston on Black Friday wearing armor. If you're wearing armor, it means you're engaged in what? Battle or war, yes. So what Paul is telling us here is that there is a battle and that we need armor in that battle. We need the armor of light, which is the Holy Spirit and the Word of God, and we need to put on that armor and we need to put on Jesus as well. But Paul, again, is not talking about just the works of darkness that are over there, those bad people doing those bad things. He's talking about the works of darkness within us. This is the same thing that Paul pulled the curtain back on a few chapters earlier in Romans 7, which I would commend to you to read if you haven't read it in a while. It's a great reading for Advent. And what it reminds us is that when we try to do good, we find that evil is close at hand. And the very thing that we do not want to do is the thing that we end up choosing to do. And Paul says, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus delivers us from this body of death by his blood on the cross and his resurrection. But the problem is that we all too often live in our sins. We live like an old Amy Grant song in an old man's rubble. We live in that rather than in the present reality of what Jesus did when he won eternal victory and life for us on the cross. The great New Testament scholar Ray Steadman puts it this way when he talks about what we put on. When I got up this morning, I put on my clothes, and so did you, I notice. I put on my clothes with the intention that they would be part of me all this day, that they would go where I go and do what I do. They will cover me and make me presentable to others. That is the purpose of clothes. In the same way, the Apostle Paul is saying to us, put on Jesus Christ when you get up in the morning. Make him a part of your life that day in every moment. Intend that he go with you everywhere you go and that he act through you and speak through you in everything you do and say. 
Call upon his resources. When you put on Jesus, you are putting on the capacity to love. We cannot do it on our own, my friends. We must put on Jesus. We need to lean in to our relationship with him. And that is part of the whole point of Advent. Many of you were just in the parish hall working on Advent wreaths. The point of the Advent wreath is to remind us the light of that candle, that single candle we see there, and then it will turn into a blaze by Christmas, that the light of Christ has come and that we need to lean into that revelation and that reality. In closing, the last great thing about this passage from Romans is that it inspired one of the most famous conversions in the history of the Christian faith. Long ago, back in the fourth century, Augustine of Hippo was living the life of a very affluent and successful partier. For an image of this, you might think about somebody who was an SAE at the University of Georgia in the 1980s. He was living that kind of lifestyle. He was going to every band party. He was at every sorority party. He was indulging every pleasure and passion. And whenever anybody said, what if we did this and so, he'd say, yes, and he would lead the charge. But the problem for Augustine is that he sampled every pleasure and lived for hedonism. He found in himself a deep emptiness and deep sadness. And he kept trying to put off making a change that he knew he needed to make. And finally, one day he said to a friend, oh, tomorrow, 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 how can I free myself from these terrible urges within me that drive me to do the very things that hurt me? And in his despair, the despair that filled him despite all these pleasures, he went outside to walk in the garden. And as he walked in the garden, he heard some young children on the other side of the garden wall playing a game, and they were crying out, tole lege, which means take and read. And he couldn't think what game this was, but he thought, well, maybe I will go and see what's on the table inside and pick it up and read it. And he went inside, and what happened to be lying on the table by the door was St. Paul's letter to the Romans. And as he picked it up, it fell open to the passage that we just have explicated this morning. And that passage said this, let us walk properly in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. And Augustine said he was pierced to the heart that it was as if Jesus had spoken directly to him. And from that moment on, his life was changed. He cast away that old life. He put on the new life of Christ and invested himself in love and in the things of the kingdom of God. And the result of that is that even today, people are still reading his confessions in City of God in schools. He's still quoted in multiple sermons. His life had a huge impact for the kingdom of God. His life modeled what that very last verse said, and I love the way J.B. Phillips puts this in his translation. Let us be Christ men and women from head to foot and give no chance to the flesh to have its fling. Let us give no chance to the flesh to have its fling, but instead, let us try to live into the season of Advent. 
My friends, we are caught now in the in-between, the now and the not yet. We are in this life, as Martin Luther put it, simul justus et peccator, that we are simultaneously justified by grace and at the same time sinners. But through faith in Jesus, we have been gifted with the impenetrable armor of Christ's righteousness. So let us wake up. Let us cast off the works of darkness. Let us put on the armor of light and let us understand the imperative to love as Jesus did. I would like to invite you to look in your service leaflet at the collect for the first Sunday of Advent. This is an ancient collect over 500 years old and you will note that it says collect of the day, collect for the first Sunday of Advent. This collect in the early church, uh, in the early days of the Church of England, was commanded to be prayed every single day in Advent, right up through Christmas Eve. And what I would like us to do is to say it together, because it reminds us of the truth of this passage, because this passage is where Thomas Cranmer drew these words. Let us say this together. Almighty God, give us grace that we may cast away the works of darkness and put upon us the armor of light. Now in the time of this mortal life in which thy son Jesus Christ came to visit us in great humility, that in the last day when he shall come again in his glorious majesty to judge both the quick and the dead, we may rise to the life immortal through him who liveth and reigneth with thee in the Holy Ghost, now and ever. Amen. Let us pray. O oh Lord Jesus, we confess to you how preoccupied we are with the things of this world, how asleep we are. Lord, we pray that you would wake us up in the season of Advent, that you would help us to see the beauty, truth, and goodness of your kingdom, and that through your love and Holy Spirit we would be empowered to cast off the works of darkness, to put on the armor of light, and love as Jesus loved. For it's in his name we pray. Amen.